0: The Daily Tap is live for Friday. We are going to talk about why the Milwaukee Bucks blew a golden opportunity for the one seed and how that should never happen again. We will also talk about the Milwaukee Brewers, three takes and out on the win over the St. Louis Cardinals. And then we will do overrated, properly rated, and underrated with summer things as we kick off the summer today. I was going to do a whole thing on that, and then I found a tweet and got mad about it. So I was like, fuck this. We're going to talk about the Bucks instead, and I will explain a lot more after we do our promos. As you know, we are on Twitter, Tapping the Keg. We are also on Instagram, Tapping the Keg Sports, and TikTok, Tapping the Keg Sports, as well, there, and Facebook. Make sure you're giving us likes on Instagram. It's been a rough week for engagement. I don't know why. I don't know what's going on, but make make sure you like our stuff, all right? Maybe share it to your Instagram story if you're really feeling generous. I ask a lot, so I understand if you don't wanna do it. Also, make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure that you are reading and reviewing. If you're subscribed and you've already done all those things, you've checked all those boxes, be sure telling people about us. I'm sure you'll be out this weekend. I'm sure you got stuff to do. Make sure you're telling us, telling people about our podcast. I would really appreciate it. I will try to get some QR codes in market so you can just hand them out to people. Um and if you are interested, please hit me up. We might just put some at Shannon's DJ booth. Like if people want to request songs for DJ On, it should be you have to subscribe to Tapping the Cag before you're able to request the song. That would that should be the rules. I actually kind of like that partnership. I don't hate it. Uh, but, anyways, I'll uh, we'll have the sidebar about that uh, on a later date. Okay, let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and the golden opportunity that they blew. Bucks Twitter, I get more exposed to Bucks Twitter because my guy, uh, Father Shafty, aka Shafty Bro, uh, he retweets a bunch of stuff into my timeline. Um, and it's great. Um, I really appreciate it because there are smart people out there that I don't follow that I miss. And Chef Dre 1107, I uh, had this tweet uh, today that really kind of stuck with me. My takeaway from this season is that every game matters, even the regular season. Those meaningless games in quotation marks come back to bite you. Bucks were inconsistent this year, fucking absolutely. The more I thought about the Heat's pathetic performance in the Eastern Conference Finals the more mad I've got at the Milwaukee Bucks and how they let a golden opportunity slip right by them. I think that we were all working with a little bit more hubris than we should have. We saw last year and we thought that we could do the exact same thing that we did in years past. There were fans in the stands last year, but it was a little different. People were in masks. People, I think at some points in at the five weren't allowed to stand and cheer. I think there was just a different environment and it, it wasn't necessarily the same thing that we saw this season. And the fact of the matter was is that the Bucks could have had the number one seed. There were, it was on the table. They finished two back of the Miami Heat and they easily could have got there. But because the Bucks fucked around in different points of the regular season, they did not get there. They didn't have a shot. Even when they were playing really good ball heading into the month of April, they still couldn't have got there. So it makes me mad that the Miami Heat are basically going to bow out to the Celtics tonight and we're going to have Celtics and Warriors and there's a real opportunity that the Bucs had to make it Bucks warriors and it should have been Bucks celtics in the conference finals, not the semifinals, which would have made a huge difference with Chris Middleton. Now, I think some of you would say, Charlie, we were scared of Philly and Toronto. You're right, we were. We talked about it. We said we didn't wanna be on that side of the bracket because you would have had to deal with Philadelphia and Toronto. Those were words that were uttered by yours truly, by Mitch, by other people as well, all right? Here's the thing. We overrated Toronto as a fan base because Toronto has had our number. Nick Nurse, coaches, Mike Boonholzer into a fucking locker, all right? That's a bad coaching matchup. The Bucks do have to figure out what they need to do against Toronto in the regular season. I think that matters. That's the last sort of beast to conquer. And I do think Toronto is going are going to make moves and they're going to make a splash this season because they have a very bright future with Scotty Barnes, with Pascal Siakam. I think they have a draft pick somewhere in there. Um, they're gonna have a decent draft pick. Like I think the Raptors are a big time player this offseason. Do not sleep on Toronto becoming a real factor. And Nick Nurse not taking the Lakers job is unfortunate because he's gonna hang out in the East. And Toronto is going to be just as good as they were last year. But this year they weren't that good. And Fred Van Vliet, while he tormented Bucks fans in 2019, he was more of a liability than a guy that I think you could win with in the postseason. I actually won't be surprised if they trade Fred Van Vliet. His big contract. But I, I wouldn't, wouldn't put it past it. it. The Raptors felt like they were a better team without Fred Van VanVleet. Then you had Philadelphia. Yes, Joel Embiid. Yes, James Harden. But James Harden, a.k.a. Brick Ross, a.k.a. Small Game James, he never shows up in the playoffs. And the Milwaukee Bucks could have figured out James Harden and Joel Embiid without Chris Middleton. They just could have. The Sixers lacked size. They lacked depth on the wings they were not very good when it came to wing wing production they didn't get a ton from Danny Green they didn't get a ton from Niang they they did get a little bit from Tyrese Maxey but Drew Holiday would have probably put him in the torture chamber and if Drew wasn't guarding him maybe you would add Javon Carter but that's probably a far-fetched idea what am I thinking but yes I do think that the Milwaukee Bucks could have triumphed over the Philadelphia 76ers without Chris Middleton. I think there was a real opportunity there. And I think that, again, to to our point about our hubris, we thought that, I I don't know if we thought that they could beat the Celtics. I think with Giannis, you always feel like you have a chance, right? You have the best player on the team. You have the best player in the league. And Giannis took that team to seven games and he ran out of gas at the very end. I don't even know if it goes to seven against Philly, even without Chris Middleton. And if Middleton was back, who knows if he was not fully healthy until game three or game four. But we might be talking about a Bucks game six in Boston with the Bucs either to punch a ticket to the finals or if it's going seven and talking about being at the Broadhouse and start a summer and all this other stuff. Like I, I really strongly believe that. But we didn't get it because the Milwaukee Bucks decided to fuck around all regular season. And some of that is championship hangover. Some of that is every team wants to beat your ass. When you are a top, when you win the championship, you have a big bullseye on your back. I forget the guy who was talking about this on herself It might have been Ben Wallace who was saying how hard it is when you win a championship that next year to get off the mat next year and get basically everybody's best every night out. It's really, it might have been Antonio Daniels actually. I can't, still does a great job with a lot of these older guys. I always feel like I learned something from one of them. But yeah, one of the guys talked about the year after, you just get everybody's best shot. And so not to excuse the Bucks fucking around or those meaningless games as Chef Dre talked about, but I think it's one of those things where we weren't always ready for it. We weren't always ready for the balls to the walls, everybody treating this like it's game seven, because that's what a lot of teams did, especially early on in the season. But if you look at the, the year at whole and you see, wow, if the Bucks would have just sort of righted the ship a little bit earlier, they would have been able to sort of figure this all out. And then when you look back at the start of the season, It almost makes you wanna puke. And let's go back and start at Christmas, okay? This is where we can start, and we will go all the way back to the very beginning, which is assault in the woods. You're like, why are you doing it this way? Trust me, I have a point to this. So at Christmas, the Milwaukee Bucks were the three seed. The Brooklyn Nets, crazy enough, were the one seed at that time. The Milwaukee Bucks would go on in January to lose six of eight. You might remember that, that run because the two teams bucks beat were brooklyn and golden state and a lot of bucks fans including myself were like oh who gives a shit we beat the teams that we we're supposed to we you know lost against you know detroit at that time i think we lost twice to toronto uh it was pretty ugly but the fact that they were able to beat the nets and the warriors kind of was this reminder of like all right yeah when the chips are down and it matters the most we're going to take care of business they lost two against Charlotte in back-to-back nights in Charlotte. That's inexcusable. They lost in Atlanta. I mean, they lost to teams that weren't in the playoffs come the end of the year. And a pretty pathetic performance against Detroit on that Monday night that kind of started it all. And no one really was missing time onto the Middleton. They were all comfortable at that point with, you know, playing without Brooke Lopez and everything else. But that kind of set the Bucs back. So then the Bucks kind of recover. They look like they're kind of picking up speed, picking up momentum. They go on this great West Coast trip. They're 35 and 21 on February 8th after they beat up the Los Angeles Lakers. The Bucks are the two seed at that time. Only one back of the Miami Heat. The Milwaukee Bucks, after that would go on to lose the next four or five, which would include the end of the, right? The first half quote unquote of the season. Then the all-star break, and then another loss to Brooklyn. That was just pathetic. So then the Bucks would take a tumble from there. So after that moment in time, the Bucs were down to a four seed, and actually they slip all the way to a five-seed on February 27th. But then, as it was the entire season, the Bucs get going again. It's kind of like an NBA game. It's you know, it's a game of runs. That was basically the Bucks season. Because they go on and then win. Eight of nine and start to, you know, push their way to the top again. But they only finish seven and five the rest of the year with some rest games, notably that Clippers game. Uh, Middleton missed a couple games. Giannis missed a game that they lost. So it, it was pretty tough. It's a pretty tough pill to swallow when you realize how close they were to the one seed. And then they win those two games against Brooklyn and Philly on the road and you're like, oh, this is a message. They are sending a message to the rest of the league. And yes, if Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt, this is an entirely different situation. But you have to factor in that there is a chance for injury. You can't just assume that everything is going to be rainbows and unicorns. And again, going back to the hubris of we're the Bucks and we won a championship last year. As a three seed, we can do it again. They needed to poach that one. And because they fucked around, they weren't able to get it. And now I know Brooke Lopez had a factor in this, but the Bucks started out six and eight on the season. Do you realize that after that they were forty-five and twenty-three? They were twenty-two games over five hundred after a six and eight start. It had the Bucks played at that pace the entire year. They are sixty-two and twenty. No one's even coming close to the Bucks as the one seed on that pace, and I understand they were adjusting to Brooke Lopez being out, they were adjusting to the target on their back, but the Bucs never really stayed hot. And the fact that the Bucs were never able to stay hot and that they had cool down periods after every big run really was their downfall. And I would think that Giannis, Chris, Drew are probably on a tech chat saying this should be us when the Celtics celebrate tonight, beating the Miami Heat. Because the Milwaukee Bucks should have had the one seed, it should have ran through Milwaukee, and it didn't because the Bucks did not take the regular season seriously. I hope this is a lesson. I hope this is an understanding of when the one seed is there for the taking, you go out and you fucking grab it. And the fact of the matter is, is that there are going to be years where it's not where a team is just all-time good, where they're winning 66 games, or I think that's what the Suns did, and you're just going to have to deal with that. But then the goal is the two-seed, because you never know what the injury stuff could be. I don't think for the hundredth fucking time that they ducked the Brooklyn Nets. I think the Bucs were just cocky. The Bucs thought they could beat anybody. And honestly, if they had Chris Middleton, I think they could have. But Chris Middleton got hurt. And they didn't account for that in their cockiness. And I think if they would have factored in a potential major injury, they would have been a little bit better off. Now you can't predict that, but you can at least prepare for it and at least be ready and it be insurance. The one seed would have been that insurance, but instead the Bucks decided to piss it away. All right, moving on to Milwaukee Brewers quickly. I was very impressed with the Milwaukee Brewers tonight. They win four to three against St. Louis. Eric Lauer against a lefty favoring offense in the St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals are incredible against left-handers. They are a top team in OPS. It's a usually an auto bet for me if the Cardinals are facing a lefty. Like it's just one of those things where I'm like, all right, Cardinals against the lefty, we're taking the Cardinals. Now, because I am a true sports fan and not a degenerate, I did not take the Cardinals to that. I would never do that. I would never bet against my team. No matter how much I do not think they have a chance, I would never do that. That ruins the experience and then you're just a gambler not a sports fan. I could go all day on that. But the, the Brewers got done and the, really the three takes and, that I have from this game and this is kind of a new segment. If you're unfamiliar, you're just joining us it is basically three different takes and then I'm out. And then I'm like, all right, that's all we're gonna do. I usually try to set it up. It's kind of long winded. It usually becomes a take, I'm working on that. But take number one, Josh Hader. Josh Hader comes back from a medical emergency, a brutal uh, pregnancy it sounds like, with his wife Maria, uh, who has a placenta previa, where basically your pl- the placenta has moved to the lower part of the cervix, which is the uterus, and it kind of screws with the baby's feeding and everything. It's really brutal. Um, Looking it up, I didn't know it, um, and so I looked it up, understood it, um, really hope everything's all right. It sounds like if it doesn't get better, she'll need a C-section. I would imagine since she's 34, I think, or 35 weeks long, they're probably gonna wait at least to see maybe but they might have to do it regardless. So thoughts and prayers with Hader's family, obviously, and hopefully everything works out there. But yes, with a lot on his mind, Josh Hader has to face the St. Louis Cardinals, top of the order, Tommy Edmund, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Albert Pujols, who can still hit lefties, at his old age. That's what he has to go up against in his first game back with all the shit on his mind, and he completely shuts it down. Like John Taffer at a bad bar. Like, Hader was great. And striking out Goldschmidt, who is hotter than hot. Like, Goldschmidt is the hottest Instagram girl going right now. Like, he is top tier. He's like Kayla Simmons, if you're familiar. If you're not, look it up. But, anyways, um, he got it done. He got it done when when they needed him. And the guy is a killer. I texted my dad. I was like, I don't feel good. Like, he walks admin. I'm like, I or no Edmond got that bullshit hit, and I was like, I don't feel good about this. And my dad goes, Yeah, he could have been susceptible for a hiccup, but he's a killer. He's absolutely right. Thirty straight saves for Josh Hader. Uh, he, I don't know if he's gonna get Cy Young buzz. Murph's been wanting to bet Hader for Cy Young for a while. I think if he's has not allowed or has not blown a save by June, late June, maybe it starts coming. I think then we gotta build the hype and then we have to start building the campaign. And I I will be on the front line, especially if our guy Murph is able to bet it. Second take, Christian Yelich kind of found it today. Now, I don't want to be like Yelich is back or Yelich is gonna get on a hot streak, but as it's been pointed out, Yelich hit for the cycle and then has been absolute shit ever since. Yelich looked good tonight. Yelich was really seeing the baseball well. I don't know if it was just the familiarity with Adam Wainwright or if it was just he changed his approach a little bit, but hopefully that can continue. Yelich also really likes sitting at at Bush Stadium. He's had a lot of success there. Uh, It's been a place that's kind of been a launching pad for the former Pat and the Yelich hot streaks. So maybe it had something to do with it there. But yeah, Yelich was good tonight, two for four. He had an RBI, he had the go ahead RBI where the Brewers were up three to two in the second inning. Uh, but he also set the table for Andrew McCutchen to drive in Colton Wong. If it's not for Yelich's hit, Colton Wong doesn't score. And it was two outs, and Yelich extended that inning, which is a huge, huge thing for the Brewers in terms of that. And they needed that run because Goldschmidt then hits a home run in the seventh inning because, of course, he does. He A, it's Paul Goldschmidt against the Brewers, and B, like I said, he's hotter than hot right now. And you just gotta hope that you're not facing Paul Goldschmidt with any runners on this series. That should be the goal. But yeah, hopefully Jelic continues. Hopefully this is something that is not going to go away for him, that he's actually going to be able to keep this up and not it's just one good game for Jelic, and then it's done. Number three, Eric Lauer. Uh, I thought Eric Lauer deserves a lot of credit for battling tonight. He pitched only five innings but he got out of it with only giving up two runs and those two runs were in the first inning. After that, he was smooth sailing, allowed four hits, did walk four batters, which isn't great, but the Cardinals are a fucking bitch to deal with, man. They're not a team that strikes out. He only had one strikeout. That is a season low for him. And the fact that he was able to basically get out unscathed besides the first inning is impressive. And these are the type of games that Eric Lauer need that build character and that kind of grow you as a pitcher. Because you, yeah, you have good stuff. Yeah, you've been able to strike out a bunch of dudes and you've been really almost dominant um, for the first part of the season. You still need these games to kind of give you that other sort of feeling of it. So yeah, really good stuff for the Brewers. Hopefully they can keep it up. We got Brandon Woodruff tomorrow who's been brutal on the road this year. So we'll hopefully get a bounce back there against Dakota Hudson of the cardinals hudson's been pitching well uh 360 era so not maybe not the easiest one for the crew and then on saturday you have hauser versus matt Libitor Libitor is the rook the rookie very talented pitcher uh Libitor is a left-hander brewers usually struggle against lefties they usually show guys pitching for the first time hauser has some great numbers against the cardinals though he's Pitched really well against the Cardinals. Hopefully, he gets the run support that he needs, and then they finish out the series with Corbin Burns versus Miles Mikolas on Sunday. That's a fucking awesome matchup. Miles um, Mikolas has been really good this year. There's some underlying stats that say Miles Mikolas at some point's going to regress, but he hasn't so far. And I also love those guys. That's this is a quick tangent. But some guys are like, "Oh, you got to gamble against this guy because he's it's just not sustainable. It's not this." And it's like, "Well, sometimes these guys are good." Like Martin Perez, right? He has a little bit higher FIP. He's under 2 ERA. His I think his FIP I think it's less than like usually when your your FIP is like 2 2 points higher than your ERA, you're not that good. His FIP's like 1 and everyone's like waiting for Martin Perez to stink. And I've bet against Martin Perez. I've been on the opposite side. Today I didn't. And they keep undervaluing Martin Perez. And sure enough, they won. So there you have it. But I I don't, you know, Nicholas has been tough on the Brewers. That's going to be a fight with Burns and, and the Cardinals pitcher. Really the goal is just get two in this series. If the Brewers can win tomorrow, um, house money all the way. Like that's, or tonight I guess. House money all the way that's that's it that's there um we will do three takes and out from the series we'll do kind of two versions because we'll do the cardinals version for the rest of the weekend and then we'll do one for the cubs doubleheader as that's going to be on memorial day so we'll have a lot of brewers to talk about when we do our tuesday show let's wrap up the show with properly rated overrated or underrated we have three topics Um, I don't think it's always gonna work out where I have an answer for each of them, but I do for today, which is great. And you can submit your summer options for this. We'll do this all summer, get you into the weekend. We'll talk about things that are overrated, underrated, properly rated the rest of the summer. And that'll just be our Friday thing and we can do it. Maybe Thursdays, occasionally, who knows. But I have three things and I will start with rooftops. Everybody loves rooftops. Everybody's a slut for a good rooftop bar. And there are good rooftop bars, don't get me wrong. Um, but they're not in Milwaukee. Overrated for sure. There is not a good rooftop bar in Milwaukee. I have not seen one. And they they just have problems. You know Charlie, Kimpton's great. Kimpton's amazing. I don't want to pay fucking $19 for a cocktail, all right? Like you're you're in Milwaukee, man. You're not in fucking Chicago. Stop acting like it. To me, that's what the Kimpton is. I think it's very pretentious. I think it's a try-hard Instagram spot. I like the idea of the Kempton. I don't like the prices of the Kempton. If that makes me poor, so be it. Uh, Uncle Bucks, I I don't know. I, I think Uncle Bucks does a lot of good in Milwaukee, but I've had some not so great interactions with them back during COVID um, was kind of a couple of different things. So, but again, it's not, I don't also think that's a true rooftop because they don't take the top off. They kind of keep it covered. They have this big fucking uh, fireplace in the middle of it. So you work it in the summertime. They might remove that in the summer, but it's not that great. Um, it's it To me, it's subpar. Uh, Brat, or the worst bar on Brady, has kind of a pseudo rooftop. I know they talked about a top rooftop. So that could, if, if they add that, that might change my opinion. Right now, they just kind of have an awning. Uh, but yeah, I don't have like a go-to rooftop spot. And if you do, please let me know. Um, I'd love to hear. I guess Camp and Dosa has one that's kind of nice, but I'm not going to fucking Tosa for a rooftop bar. Sorry. Sandals at the bar. So wearing flip-flops or sandals at the bar. Underrated. Okay, hear me out. First of all, I'm married. I'm not trying to get a girl. I have no qualms about it. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. I will wear flip-flops at the bar any day of the week. I get people want to show off their, their sneakers. They want to show off. You know, they want to wear like driving shoes, things like that. And I have a nice pair of Kohan driving shoes I'll probably wear to a wedding this weekend. Shout out to my guy Cappy, longtime listener, getting married. We probably should have end, started the show or ended the show with that. Uh, but seriously, I'm very happy for him and his wife, or soon to be wife, Shardae And it's gonna be a great time. I cannot wait. Um, I'm sure they'll try to rope me into doing a wedding review. Um, I will do one 10, 30, 11 o'clock if you get me drunk enough. But anyways, sidebar, sandals at a bar is is great because first of all, you're comfortable. To me, it's all about being comfortable in the summertime. It's all about making sure that you're not too hot, you're not too cold, you are in control of everything. If you're not gonna walk a bunch, sandals are fine. If you end up walking bar to bar, yeah, sandals become a real issue. Then you're dealing with lack of support, dealing with some back pain, you don't want that. But, if you're just going to a bar and you can wear shorts, throw on the sandals. Now, there's some guys who won't wear shorts. And those guys are tryhards to the highest degree. We'll do another topic on shorts for another day. Should you wear jeans with sandals? Look, I I like it. I've done it. But, I I think that's maybe a bridge too far. I think that's, you could find a better option than, than wearing than wearing sandals. You just can't. And I've done it. I did it when I was single. Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't play, man. I think it's a comfort thing. I love wearing sandals in the summertime. I hate socks. I don't like socks. I'd wear my sandals everywhere if I could. But when you've rolled your ankle like three or four times walking your dog in sandals, you just have to wear shoes. You gotta take the L. And that's probably because I'm a fucking klutz too. Um, let's not get that mistaken. But Sandals at the Bar plays and if you're like, I can't do it, Charlie, you know, people are going to make fun of me. People are going to, you know, I'm not going to get any pussy because of it. If you're single, who cares, man? Are they really going to be looking at your feet? Is a girl really going to say I'm not sleeping with this guy because he's wearing sandals? I don't think we have any single ladies that listen to this podcast, but if we do, chime in. Would you really not go home with somebody if he's wearing sandals at the bar? Who cares? Last one, day drinking, properly rated. For day drinking, I think you day drinking is one of those things that's a lot of fun. I think you can't overdo day drinking. We can't do day drinking twice a month, three times a month. I think that you're getting kind of excessive there, because you kind of waste your whole day. That's that's kind of the concept of day drinking. But if you can get one day drink per month in the summer, it's hard. It's, everyone's busy. You have weddings. You have Bridal showers, you have this, you have that. I don't have bridal showers, but I'm saying women, again, speaking to everyone in our audience here, uh, you don't necessarily get those opportunities. But maybe you have a bachelor party, maybe a bachelor party, maybe you have a family function where it's just like, all right, yeah, we're gonna crack beers and drink beers all day. That's great. You you need that. Day drinking's good, day drinking's fun. I think also too. The thing with day drinking that not enough people do is you have to space out your day drink. You can't just say, go all in, dive head first and get fucking wasted by two o'clock. Cause no one wants that. Just a happy drunk for the whole day. Take a little snooze, four o'clock, you have golf on. You have maybe the brewers are playing in the afternoon. You take a good snooze, three or four hours. You're back at it. You're eating dinner having a few more pops, getting back to that kind of comfy, cozy drunk, and then you go to bed. And that's how you have a great day drink. So it's all about drink management, which I'm a huge proponent of. I think drink management is important, especially in big things like weddings, as mentioned, or like events like a day drink, for sure. All right, that does it. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, If you have any suggestions, feel free. Um, I'm always open to it. Have yourself a great Memorial Day weekend. Stay safe. Uh, and I will see you guys on Tuesday. No show on Monday, unless something crazy happens. We'll we'll recap the weekend, we'll talk versus Cardinals. Um, I probably won't lament about Warrior Celtics uh, because I did it today, <laughs> so, uh, but we'll definitely talk about all the baseball that happened and anything else, uh, get ready for the match, maybe a little preview of that. No, I'm just kidding. All right, take care of yourself. Have a good weekend, and we'll see you Tuesday. Peace.